Hey, my name is Ryan McVitie, and I am the pastor of the River Worship. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. If you haven't heard about the river yet, it's an amazing move of God happening in the greater Toronto area. Yes, Toronto, Canada. It's a cold place, but we have warm hearts, and we love coming together every Tuesday night and worshiping the Lord with all we've got. We also get to dive into the Word, and that's where we're going to go right now. We're going to dive into the Word of God, and I trust and pray that it will impact you in a powerful way. If you're ever in the Toronto area, come visit us. We would love for you to worship with us together. But enjoy the message, and God bless you. Tonight, I want to talk to you about something that I think is even more important, and that is all through the Bible. And that is where you go to quench your thirst. Because I don't know about you, but there are things in my life that that feel incomplete sometimes. I have a longing in me. Sometimes I I, I get thirsty and hungry for for a, a longing of something more. And it's hard to necessarily put words on it all the time. But but God is very concerned about where you go to quench your thirst. And he's very concerned about where I go. So it's a real practical word that I have for you today. It won't take very long. But I've been in ministry a long time, and I'm starting to learn that there is so much more power in one teaching from Scripture, sometimes even one verse actually applied in your life, than there is a thousand verses memorized, known, collected, Guys, the Word of God is the guidebook to life. And the power that there can be in just applying one word is unbelievable. Just one commandment from God is unbelievable. So tonight is going to be very, very practical. I could give you 50 Bible verses with exegetical analysis and exquisitely orate it before you and use a bunch of words to try to make myself sound smart, but that's not what I'm going to do. Tonight we're going to get practical, because if you were here last night, I quoted Ephesians 6 to you. Anybody know what Ephesians 6 is, the full armor of God? You heard about that in Sunday school from the Apostle Paul? You know, the the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, and and what else? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I always thought it was kind of weird. Why is the Word of God a sword? Like, why wouldn't it be something that you carry with you all the time, like a belt, like the belt of truth, or the helmet protects the most important thing? It's a sword because it's meant to be used. A sword is something that you use, okay? And what I, what I fear today in the church and in the world is that we have a whole lot of people that have become sword collectors instead of soldiers. And, and a sword collector knows everything about the sword, you know, a sword collector knows how much it weighs, what it, when it was made, the historicity of it, um, who designed it, who made it. But if I'm going to battle, I do not want a sword collector next to me. I want a soldier next to me who actually knows how to use the sword. You know what I'm saying? So I don't want us to just be sword collectors or scripture collectors, okay? You know who were excellent scripture collectors in the Bible? This group called the Pharisees. You ever heard of them? Oh man, they quoted more scripture to Jesus than, than he heard in his entire life, and he, and he was the word, you know? I don't want us just to be scripture collectors. I want us to be able to use the word of God, to know it to the extent that we can use it. Those of you that are students, put your hand up if you're a student. High school, elementary school, college, university, 
Uh, you're a parent, then you're a student. I'm a parent, so I'm a student learning my kid. Um, you put your hand down now. That's a very good student over here. Um, if you're going to learn anything in life, don't learn it just to know it. Learn it to the extent you can actually apply it. Because this has nothing to do with my message tonight, but, but me, I got through school with pretty good grades. This is for my high school, college friends that are in here. When I would study and get to know something, I would do it for the test, not to actually know it and actually be able to practically apply it. And when I was in law school, I had a great professor who really changed my life. He knew I loved golf. He knew I was very passionate about golf. I suck at it, but I love it. Um, and he came up to me one day, and he said something that actually really changed my life. He said, Ryan, when you do anything, do it to the extent that you can apply it to an analogous set of facts or just go golfing. That's a big phrase because it came from a law professor, right? He's saying do it to the extent that when a certain similar circumstance comes up, you'll know how to apply it. That's the standard that we need to get to when it comes to the word of God is application. Application is the standard. So that's where I want to get to with something tonight. So we're going to go real deep, and I'm going to ask you a very, very serious theological question. You ready? <laughs> He's so scared. Oh, my gosh. Could you hear a pin drop? You ready? The front row's ready. Are you ready? Deep theology, okay? You ready? Who here loves coffee? Let me see some hands. Where are my coffee lovers at? Oh, yeah, you're my people, guys. You are my people. Look, I, I, I hate to admit this to you, but I'm a coffee addict. Like, I am barely saved until I have my first cup of coffee in the morning. I'm still saved, okay, because I, I went through Theology 101. I know how that works, but, but barely until I have my cup of coffee. Anyone else that's like that, you, you, you can admit that. Okay, a few of you, cool. Um, you're going to hate my sermon today. <laughs> All of you who just put your hand up, you're going to hate this message. Where are my coffee haters at? Those who just don't do it. Oh, my gosh. I do not understand you. Like, how do you get through life? Do you just, like, naturally have energy? What? I really don't understand you, but you are going to love this message tonight, okay? You just, you're going to be like, yeah, I got it right. I'm doing life right. You're going to love it tonight. Um, but I love coffee. When Scripture says my cup runneth over, you know, my dream is that it's a nice dark roast from Tim Hortons. Um, coffee is like the only, what bro, you don't like Tim Hortons? You worship at the Church of St. Arbucks? Is that what it is? Nah, bro, I can't, I can't fist bump that. I'm too poor for Starbucks. You, you're rolling different. Um, but coffee, to be honest, it's, it's like the Christian drug, right? Like, because caffeine actually is a drug, okay? It's, 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 it's classified as a drug, but you go tell any other Christian that you're doing any other drug, and what are you going to be met with right away? Ooh, but coffee, it's like, yeah, bro, let's meet. That's great. Let's, let's have coffee together. It's, it's a Christian drug. It's, it's, it's approved by all denominations. Well, maybe not all. There is Mormons. Um, but every other denomination, it's approved. don't clap for that. That's wrong, and I shouldn't have said it. Um, <laughs> why do they give me a microphone? Why, though? Those of you who love coffee, why do you love it? Shout out at me. You know I'm an interactive preacher. Why do you love it? I tell you why I love it. Yeah, some coffee tastes good, okay? Some coffee tastes good. I love it because I'm a tired person. <laughs> like, I'm just tired a lot. I have an eight-month-old child who is the best kid in the world. 
But I'm tired often, okay? I'm tired a lot. Anyone else here who just gets tired? So you like coffee for that? It's like utilitarian, right? I get iced coffee in February. You know why? Because you can drink it faster, right? No one's got time to wait 10 minutes for your coffee to cool down. (laughs) Good word, he says. I drink it because I get tired. And we all have different reasons why we get tired. Some of us got kids. Some of us work early in the morning, 5 a.m. shifts. You need a coffee to get going. Some of us got an Xbox and a PlayStation, you know, and that makes you tired. Teach his own. I get it. I was once there. We all get tired in this life. We all get thirsty in this life. But I stepped back a few days ago, and I said, if I'm going to be addicted to something like I am coffee, I should probably understand it. And I don't know if you guys have ever studied how coffee, specifically caffeine, which is in coffee, actually works, but I did. And I found some things that are interesting, and don't worry, I promise you we're going to get into the Word of God. This relates. I found some things that were very interesting about it, and here's the first thing I found, which was shocking. Coffee actually gives you zero energy. Blasphemy. Get that man out of the pulpit. False prophet. No, I mean it. Coffee actually doesn't give you any energy. And you go, what? Well, then why why do I need it? It it helps me when I'm tired. What are you talking about? So here, if you get into the science of the brain, which I won't go too deep, okay? Coffee doesn't give you any energy. Here's what it does. It blocks temporarily a neurotransmitter in your brain called adenosine. Adenosine. Yeah, I had to actually go to Google and click adenosine pronunciation to make sure I had that right. If any of you want to public speak, that's a great thing to do. It blocks a neurotransmitter called adenosine. And what adenosine does in your brain is it is what signals and notifies your brain on behalf of your body that you are tired. It notifies your brain that you're tired. So what coffee actually does is it just puts a temporary pause on adenosine, okay, on this neurotransmitter that's telling you that you're tired. It doesn't actually give you energy. What it simply does is silences the notifications that your body is telling you, bro, You got to sleep. You got to eat. You got to get some real sources of energy. It temporarily silences those things, all while you actually just get more tired and more dehydrated because coffee is a diuretic, right? It draws body out of your body. It doesn't, draws body out of your water. (laughs) Speaking in tongues up here, it draws water out of your body, which you need to live, right? And it got me thinking, you're like, why is he? giving me like a science lesson. I don't want biology. I want the word of God. Here, here's why. It got me thinking about this. Don't we do that same thing with our soul? Think about it for a second. Your soul notifies you and sends you signals and sends you notifications that, hey, hey, we're missing something right now. Hey, there's, there's, there's something that I'm longing for. There's something that I desire. There's, there's something that needs to be addressed. There's something more. Your soul constantly is doing that. You know why? Because every single one of you, including me, we have a God-size-shaped hole in our hearts, okay? And there's only one thing that will truthfully fulfill it, and that's him. That's God. That's Jesus Christ. You believe that? Okay, good. Then hang with me here for a little bit. We all have that, okay? And if you don't believe me, and maybe you're not a Christian, or, and you came here tonight, and, and you don't believe me with when I'm saying that. There's something that happened recently that, that, that really rocked me and, and opened up my eyes. Uh, I told you last week I'm a football fan. Buffalo Bills, we lost. Very, very sad. 
Um, a few weeks ago, though, there was a young man, 24 years of age, in peak fitness condition, who just dropped on the field in front of 80,000 people and 9 million viewers on television. And what happened? His heart stopped. Dropped on the field. By some definitions, dead on live television and just dropped. And something miraculous then happened that, that I haven't seen in my life. Every person in that stadium, every news broadcaster, CBS, Fox, every news reporter later on, all of them, you know what they did? They started to pray. All of them started to pray. And isn't it interesting in a world of political correctness where we don't necessarily have space for God here or space for God here, we got to keep God only in this compartment over here, all of a sudden everyone is praying. And if you're a critical thinker and you can deductive reason that, what is it telling you? It's telling you that in all their hearts, deep down there, they know there's nothing else they can do in that moment than what? Pray. Why would you pray to a God that you don't long for or believe in? Because it's there. And it's evidenced in creation when you go outside. And, and I could talk to you. I teach a course here on it. And, and I could talk to you forever about that, to believe that this all happened by accident. I don't have that kind of faith to be an atheist. That's too much faith. I'm not a big enough man of faith for that. Truthfully, I'm not. We all have this longing and this desire through what is called natural revelation and theological teaching, that there is a God and that in some sense we need him. We might not know how, but in some sense we do. We all thirst, is what I'm trying to tell you, for him. The Bible puts it really beautifully and really clearly in Psalm 63, verse 1, which you'll see come up on the screen. It says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I don't know if you've been living in 2023, but I have. It feels like a dry and weary land where there is no water sometimes, right? But we all have this thirst. It's in us. We have this God-sized shaped hole, right? So now I want to give you the title of this message, which is going to seem very strange to you, and it's going to put a decision before you tonight. Coffee or Christ? This is your decision. Some of you are like, Pastor, don't put me in that spot. I can't. I can't. I can give up gambling. I can do whatever I need to do, but, but not coffee. Don't come for my coffee. I'm right there with you. Don't worry. I'm not coming for your coffee, okay? Just like we all have a God-sized hole, a God-shaped hole in our heart that really only he can feel, fill, we all also have a coffee. What the heck are you talking about, bro? Yeah, we all also have a coffee. We all have a thing that we run to in order to temporarily silence the constant notification of your soul saying there's something more you need. We all have that, all of us, even Christians, even you, even me. We have things that we run to to try to distract from the fact that what we actually need in this situation is him and him alone. All of us, especially me, I do it, man. We all do. We all have this thing. We all have a coffee. And if you don't, then frankly, I don't know why you worship God because you're perfect already and you don't need him. <laughs> we all do. We all have 
this thing. We all have this thirst. So the question then is, what do we do? But before we get to that question, I want to talk about what, what might some of those things be. Where, where do we run to when we should be running to God? What are the types of things? And we could spend hours talking about that. We won't. Look, some of them are big and nasty, and some of them we know about from the Word of God. But some of them, some of them you, you'll be sipping, having a great day, and not even know that you're doing it. Things like this. Here's a coffee that I do. Okay, I'll just be transparent with you. I love to be transparent with you. Sometimes instead of going to God to fill a need in my life, here's where I go. I go and look for the validation of man, the validation of people. I hate, yeah, pastor just said that. I hate how much I like to be liked. I like to be liked. If someone doesn't like me, it eats me up inside. I'm like, what? such a nice guy. How can you not like me? Right? I, I, I love to be liked. And, and you know, it's not just me in 2023. There's this thing called social media. And do you know how and why it exists? It exists, it exists because you also like to be liked. And in social media, what is it actually called? It's called liking, double tapping, right? We all, it, it's, it's one of our coffees, this, this constant need for validation. But when you Post a thirsty picture. Okay, I'm not necessarily talking like that, all right? But when you're thirsty and you're posting on Instagram just trying to get that that quick hit of approval, the question you are actually asking is this. You're asking, do I really matter? Do I have value? Does anyone actually care about me? What, I only got eight likes? Only eight people care about me and love me? Some people would kill to have eight people care about them and love them. Some context there. And, and if you're anything like me, I could get 100 nice comments and 100 likes, but one bad comment, and I will instantly forget about all 100 other ones, and I will zone in on that one bad one, and I will take it to the grave with me. Is that just me? I feel judged right now. You ever do that? You know what I'm talking about? One bad will outdo. Married people, trust me, this is how we operate. Your spouse will be good to you day and day and day again and be loyal and be faithful and tell you how beautiful you are and how great you are. And you mess up once. That's the thing that they're going to think about. That's how it works in relationships. Our minds, human psychology, love to do that. But the question you're actually asking when you look for validation from man is, do I matter? What I want you to know tonight is that you don't just matter to people, and yes, you do. I know there are some people who love, to, love you. You matter to God so much that he would put his son up on a cross to die a death of suffocation and torture and cruelty because that's how much you matter to him. If that doesn't get you excited, I should just drop this microphone down because that's how much you matter to him. But we love to sip the coffee of validation, to block that need that we can only get from God and try to get it from people instead. We love to try to do that. What's another one? We won't go through too many. Um, material things. Things of this world. Stuff. Anyone ever heard of retail therapy? Anyone ever been guilty of retail therapy? These glow-in-the-dark shoes, I think we're a Retail therapy purchase one day. Um, retail therapy, material things, used to be hard, 
you're feeling down, you want to go buy something to make yourself feel better, but you know, it used to be hard, you had to get out of the sweatpants, put real clothes on, drive to Walmart, actually buy stuff. Now you got Amazon. I mean, click, 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 boom. You got something the next day ordered, and there's 50 bucks gone. You, it, it's so available all the time. So often in this life, when we feel like something is missing and our soul is telling us there's something more and something we should be longing for, we try to fill it with a thing instead of the one. And that is a problem. You know why it's a problem? Because the richest man ever to live, maybe until Elon, I think Elon might have passed that now, but John D. Rockefeller, he had money that you could never imagine. And someone once interviewed him. My dad taught me this, and he showed this to me. Someone once interviewed him and asked him, when will you have enough? I'm talking hundreds of billions of dollars, okay? Like he could buy Canada. He was so rich. When will you have enough? Well, when I get a little more. That's what his response is. Well, what's a little more? What's the number? Oh, it's not a number. Just, just a little more. You know why? Because what that tells you is he was trying to fill that hole with money and with things, and it just wasn't fitting, and it wasn't filling. Material things are not going to do it. That, that's not a, a coffee that works. It's a temporary distraction. Last one I'll give you, and then, and then we'll get to the main crux of what I'm trying to tell you tonight, because I know I do this one, and I think some of you might too. Control. See, when you feel that longing in your soul and you can't necessarily fix it and you're not doing the one thing that will fix it, you feel out of control. And when you feel out of control, here's what you try to do. You try to control other people. And that gets very, very messy very, very quickly, my friends. Because you will start trying to control your spouse, start trying to control your kids, start trying to control your friends, because you don't have control over that area that is actually so important, that area that needs to be controlled by him, you'll start trying to control other people, and that always backfires because you can't own a person. You can't have total control over a person. I don't care if you're married to them. I don't care if they're your kid. Yeah, of course, your kids have to respect you and listen to you, but, but you can't actually really control a person. That's another thing we do. It's another type of coffee. So why am I giving you all these lengthy examples? I'm trying to tell you that we all have a coffee. We all have a thing in this world that we run to just to get us through instead of going to the one thing that will actually quench our thirst. And what I hope you will do tonight and throughout this week is try to identify what that thing is. Because we all have it. This isn't a clap, clap, hoorah kind of sermon. This is a I love you kind of sermon, and I want to see you grow. I love me, and I want to see me grow. What is your coffee? That's the question I'm asking you. Why? Because the devil is so slick, y'all. This is the way he operates. He wants you going to the grave with a smile on your face, drinking your mocha chino frappe upside down oat milk shaken latte. I thought of that on the spot. That was a lot. That Starbucks? Tim Hortons doesn't have that? <laughs> Tim Hortons definitely. Try, ask for that at Tim Hortons. See what they say to you. That would be funny. But being serious, this is what the devil wants. He's, he's sly. He's conniving. He wants you to be sipping all the things of this world, temporarily masking that hole and not putting the one thing in that will actually fix it. But here's the problem with coffee. Why are you using this analogy, man? Here's the problem. Every single time you drink coffee, 
A couple hours later, what happens? A little thing called the crash. The caffeine crash. Why does that happen? Because your neurotransmitters aren't blocked anymore, and your body's like, yo, I've been sending you 100 notifications that you're tired, and you need to go rest, and you've been ignoring all of them. And that's what the caffeine crash is. And, and it's worse because you've also got a more dehydrated. So it's actually made the situation worse. It hasn't just prolonged it. It's, it's made it worse. That is what the devil wants to happen in your life. He wants you to crash. And I'm talking not the 3 p.m. take a nap at work and hope your boss doesn't see kind of crash. He wants you to have the ultimate crash and not even know that you're marching towards it. I hope you hear me. That's his strategy. And let me tell you who his model is. This person doesn't get preached on very often, but I love preaching about him. His model for your life is a man named Judas Iscariot. He was one of the 12 disciples. Who knows Judas? (laughs) Come on. Western culture. What is Judas synonymous with? Betrayal. Here's what he wants. He wants to get you to a point where your coffee... Your thing that you got to run to, that you got to have, controls you so much that you will betray your Savior and then kill yourself and die. I know that's hard, that's deep, that's a lot to even hear from me, but that is what the devil wants for you. To Satan, Judas is the model for your life. To God, Jesus Christ is the model to your life. He wants you to have freedom. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to have joy and life more abundant. It couldn't be more different. Yeah, you can clap for that. Thank you, one person in the corner. I see you. But see, to Judas, he had a coffee. Someone's going to put this on YouTube and be like, they didn't have coffee 2,000 years ago. This guy's a false prophet. Okay, cool. I get it. That's actually kind of funny. I think about it. Um, Judas didn't have caffeine as his coffee, but he did have something as his coffee, something that he went to to find fulfillment in other than Christ, which is crazy if you think of his context because he was with Christ in the flesh. He was one of the 12 disciples, right? He saw him. He had him right with him. Do you know what Judas's coffee was? It was money. The thing that Judas went to to find fulfillment, even though he was right next to the only thing that actually gives you fulfillment, was money. Scripture tells us that. It tells us it in John 12, 6, which in a second is going to come up on the screen. When, when Lazarus is raised from the dead and Mary, Lazarus' sister, not the mother of Jesus, gets down and uses one year's worth of uh, uses perfume and fragrance that's worth one year's wages, the Bible tells us, so a lot of money on Christ's feet. And, and Judas intervenes and steps in and lectures Christ, and what does he say? He, he tells him that, that God, you, you could, Jesus, God in the, God's son in the flesh, you could have used this to feed so many hungry people. Why would you let her put that on your feet? But see, God, Jesus knows the heart. He says he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. See, his coffee, the thing that he ran to, that he needed to feel whole, or so he thought, was money. And that ultimately takes him to a place 
where he goes to the Sanhedrin, he goes to the Pharisees, and they offer him 30 of these dirty little pieces of silver. This is called a shekel attire. This is the actual coin. This is from the Israel Museum up in Canada Christian College. 30 of these exact coins, 30 dirty quarters for your Savior. The, the value today of the silver that's in these coins would be $264.53. I looked it up. $264.53 of silver for God's son in the flesh. Why would you do that, Judas? It's not even a, a, a fortune. It's not millions. It's not billions. You can't even really buy anything that matters with it. $264 is like gas in your truck in 2023. Like, this, this is not a lot of money. But this was his coffee. This was his thing that he found fulfillment in. To the point where he, for just 30 of these, would betray his Savior and then regret it so much that he would kill himself. The saddest story in the Bible, y'all, is, is truthfully Judas. Here he had Christ right next to him. But, but in that decision, coffee or Christ, he chose coffee. He chose that temporal thing that makes you feel better just for a minute instead of the thing that takes you to heaven forever. What a decision. What a bargain. And look, he wasn't the only person in Scripture who had a coffee. There's people all throughout Scripture who are messed up and made messed up decisions. I could think of one, David, King David. What, did, what was his coffee? It was lust. I give you the nice, pretty ones to talk about, you know, validation and control. No, his was the dirty one. His was lust to the point where he actually kills a man so that he can continue his adultery. King David, the man who slayed Goliath, the one after God's own heart, the one known today as, as the greatest king in Israeli history, he did that. But his ending was completely different than Judas's ending. You know why? Because he did something about it. He repented, and Psalm 51 is a chapter in the Bible where he repents completely. But I'm so thankful that that lesson is in Scripture because here's what it tells you and me. It tells you that no matter how dark and ugly your coffee is, no matter how bad that thing is that you have done or that you are doing or that you maybe even did today, that thing you go to when you know you should be going to the cross instead, there is power in his grace, and it is enough to wash that away because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the good part. I've been lecturing you on the bad part, but that's the good part. But see, David had to do something about it. He had to repent for his sin. You know why? Because the wages of sin is death. God is a just God, but he sent his son to give us a way out. And David did something about it. He repented. And now today, you don't think of him as David the adulterer. You think of David the mighty warrior and the king. That can be your story. I don't know what your coffee is, but has anyone in this room killed someone in the name of adultery? Rhetorical question. Please don't put your hand up, okay? Because the person next to you is going to slide over a lot. We're good Christians and we don't judge, but that's a lot to take in. If the grace was enough for him, why do you think that you can't have it? I mean that. Really think about that. I know you got something. I got something. We all got something. But if it was enough for that circumstance, how is it not enough for us? It is. David did something about it. 
he surrendered it. He repented for it. He did something about it. Guys, there is a saying that I hear all the time that I hate so much. I'm talking a lot of hate tonight. Um, time heals all wounds. You ever heard that? Don't worry. Time heals all wounds. That is the dumbest saying I have ever heard in my life. Time heals all wounds? Are you kidding me? Time does not heal all physical wounds. There's something called infection that can occur with a large physical wound. Um, Time certainly doesn't heal all emotional wounds. There's some of you that experienced some stuff as kids. Has time healed that? Time doesn't heal wounds. Jesus Christ is the one that actually heals all wounds. If you've been coming to the river for a long time, you've maybe heard this story already, but in 2018, almost five years ago now, I was moving a glass wall old one-inch thick glass, and my buddy was behind me. Um, I think he's driving the shuttle bus tonight. You should say hi, Andrew, uh, on the way out. He was holding the back of it, and it slipped out of our hands, and it hit the ground, and it was old. It wasn't tempered. It shattered and broke into a thousand little pieces. I was wearing shorts because I'm an idiot and, and, and running shoes, and it just took everything from here down, gone. It left the bone, but it took everything else. It severed all the tendons. It took away all the skin, just gone. And, and that, that was a real wound. Like I'm talking, this, this wound was like 16 inches. That was a real wound. Time was not going to heal that. Okay. (laughs) Only a surgeon. And then the healing process that God has given was going to heal that situation. And, and what happened was I, I, I saw it big puddle of blood, gone, because I'm a baby, right? Gone. Um, My dad and my wife rushed me to Sunnybrook Hospital. They don't wait on the ambulance. They get me there because I'm fading in and out, losing a lot of blood. And I get there, and they first send a plastic surgeon to care for my leg, and and he does 155 stitches on my leg. And it's long, and it's brutal, and I get through it, and I'm like, how did it go, man? And, And he's like, well, the good news is we got you stitched up. We have the bleeding under control. The bad news is your tendons are all still severed underneath. What? <laughs> I kind of need those <laughs> to walk, function, exist. He says, yeah, we don't have the right surgeon on call. I don't know how to do that. So you're going to have to come back in a few days when we find the right surgeon that can actually repair those tendons because it's a very complicated procedure. We're not used to seeing them cut. They're normally torn. It's different. So I had to wait four days. See, what they did is they just temporarily patched it up. And what happened is the problem underneath in those next four days just got worse and got worse and got worse. Those coffees function the same way in our life. They can temporarily maybe patch something up, but what lies underneath just keeps getting worse and keeps getting worse. It's what we do in relationships. Let's make this practical. Who's in a relationship of some sort? A lot of single people in here. It always shocks me. I don't know how you're still single coming to the river this long. (laughs) Seriously, speed dating or something in here. Um, It's what we do in relationships, right? We sweep things under the rug. Okay, sure, don't want to have that fight right now. Don't want to deal with that right now. Let's sweep it under the rug. We're busy. We've got things we've got to do in our life. And here's what happens when you keep sweeping and keep sweeping and keep sweeping and putting more stuff under the rug. Eventually, that stuff that you put under the rug eats away at the floor that's under the rug, and you try to take a step, and you fall right through it. And you go, what happened in my relationship? How did it go from 100 to zero just like that? It didn't. You were sweeping, and you were sweeping, and you were sweeping. It's what we do. 
We don't like dealing with the hard stuff. We like the coffee, right? Eating a healthy diet, getting enough sleep, that's a lot more difficult than a cup of coffee. I know because I've had two coffees already today. Woo! But I'm serious, y'all. It's what we do. We sweep it and we sweep it and we sweep it. And we go and we drink from every single well that this world has to offer except the one well that will never run dry. And John chapter 4 talks about it. That's the scripture for tonight, and then I'm going to let you worship again. It's going to come up on the screen. John chapter 4, we start in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? What is this? This is the woman at the well. I hope you've heard it before. The very first thing that happens, Jesus, how can you be talking to me? One, I'm a woman. You're a man. And two, I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. See, this was a time of racism, a time of segregation, a time of chauvinism in a lot of ways. And Jesus says, nah, uh I just I push all that out of, out of the way. And I'm going to go to this woman, even though society is going to judge me for it, and I'm going to talk to her anyway. And he does that, and then he says the following. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And now she is just thoroughly confused. And she says, sir, you have nothing to draw with from the well, and it's deep. You're not going to reach down and get it. Where can you, asking Christ, where can you get living water? And then she gets up in his grill. Are you greater than Father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? She's checking on him now. She's fact-checking him. Are you greater Jesus answers, he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Everyone who drinks their coffee, their thing, their temporary stitches without dealing with what's underneath will be thirsty again. That's what, that's what he's saying. But, but, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Come on, y'all will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. He's saying, drink this water and you shall never thirst again. This water just doesn't prolong that longing that you have in your soul and and make you feel better for an hour until you feel worse than you did that hour before. This water actually ends thirst. That's what's available to you. That's the type of water that's available to you. And this woman, I didn't put the scripture all up because we're almost out of time, but, but this woman, she's got a thirst. She's got like a 2023 kind of thirst, if you know the story about her. Um, yeah, Jesus says to her, go get your husband. And she said, well, yeah, the thing about that, um, here's the thing about that. He says, I know. I know what your coffee is. I know you've been looking for validation in men your whole life. I know that you've had five husbands already and that this man that you're with now that you call your husband is actually not even your husband. I know the whole story. I knew it before I walked over to you because I still love you. I still chose you. I still choose you, and I'm still here for you. Stop going to the coffee. Stop going to the man and come to him, the living water. That's the real story of the woman at the well. Stop turning in your life to cheap commodities when you have the commodity of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. 
is more precious than anything else you could ever have in your life. It doesn't quench for just a moment. It quenches for eternity. Coffee or Christ? One hour or eternity? See, the devil can't have you doing what I'm telling you. The devil can't have you becoming not thirsty. He needs you to stay thirsty and to keep your focus off of God because when your focus is on him, there is nothing he can do to stop the promises of God on your life. I wish that would get you excited because it's just the truth and it's in scripture. Would you stand to your feet? Because we're going to get back to worship in just a moment. Look, I've told you a lot tonight. I've talked about this analogy of coffee a lot tonight. That thing that you run to, that thing that you haven't surrendered yet. When there's something so close, just like Judas, it was so close. He was looking at it in the eyes every day. There's something so close that would fulfill that hole in your heart. So I personally, I might not quit drinking coffee tonight, even though I know it actually gives me no energy now and I've studied it. I might not quit drinking coffee, but let me tell you what I am going to quit doing. I am going to stop letting the devil march me down to the grave when I don't even realize it's happening. Sipping my latte. Sipping on the lattes of needing approval from man. Your life will look like this if you go that path. From trying to be in control. I don't want to be in control. I want him to be in control. So I might not be done with coffee, but I'm done with letting the devil have his way. And I hope you will be tonight too. That's why I brought you down this long road. Because I'm so tired of seeing people marching towards destruction and not even realizing that they're going there. It's the devil's trick. It's what he uses this world for. I'm so tired of drinking from every single well except the well that never runs dry. And I think you might be too. So tonight, I want to invite you not to stay like I was after I got temporarily stitched up, tendons still cut inside, I want to invite you to go to the one surgeon who can actually repair your heart. The one who can actually save you. I found a surgeon who could go back into my leg and and he fixed those tendons that were severed. He mended them and I didn't walk for a year, but today I'm jumping up and down. Yeah, that's a testimony of God's healing power. It absolutely is. But it's an analogy. Stop walking around just sewed up temporarily while underneath you're still ripped apart. You got a surgeon who loves you and who is right there. We don't live stream, thank God. He's right there. He's right there. He can fix the underlying issue. You can stop sweeping it under the rug. He can actually deal with it. Revelation 3.20 says it this way. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If you will hear my voice and you will open the door, I will come in. The creator of the universe stands at the door of your heart 
and knocks. I wish, I wish we would just let him in. I wish you would start taking the energy that you put into disagreeing and arguing with God about who and what he says you are and started putting it into believing that you are who you, he says you are, that you are chosen, that you are called, that you are a royal priesthood, that you are set apart, that you are the head and not the tail. That's what he says about you. That's who you are. And you have him available and accessible to you. I say this to you once per season, and I say it now. Until Jesus Christ is enough for you, no person, no place, and no thing ever will be. Nothing else will do. So tonight, after all these words and all this time, we're now going to get to worship. And I, I just pray that you will go to God and you will give him your coffee. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's validation. Maybe it's like David. It's something dark and scary like lust. I don't know what it is. But I'm trying to tell you that truthfully, none of that will work. Give it to him tonight. Nothing else will do. God, tonight, we want you. Let's worship him right now.